July 1981, in a packed centre court at Wimbledon, UK, the American tennis player, John McEnroe, renowned for his grumpy temper, completely lost control and screamed at the umpire, you cannot be serious. A moment in tennis history. And I think if we're honest... When we listen to Jesus' teaching, our response is actually just the same. Jesus, you cannot be serious. And I think our followership of Jesus is often full of many, many, you cannot be serious moments. Build an ark, you cannot be serious. Go to Nineveh, you cannot be serious. Love your enemies. Really? Are you serious? Blessed be the meek. Come off it. Rejoice when people insult you. For goodness sake. Jesus, you cannot be serious. The series we're starting today is called What If Jesus Was Serious? What if Jesus wasn't exaggerating? What if he wasn't deliberately overstating things to motivate us to to try harder and to play nicer? What if Jesus actually meant what he said? What if he actually does want us to love our enemies and not make do with not hating on them online or not bad-mouthing them behind their back? What if he actually wanted to do the kind of heart surgery which meant that we would never quietly resent anyone, ever? What if Jesus was serious? So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of Jesus' parables and see how they might actually change us if Jesus was serious. We're going to start today by looking at a a tricky parable, and it's Luke chapter 16. So please do follow it on your Bibles or on your apps, but the words will also be coming up on screen. Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me, into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors 
He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? I think this is actually one of the most difficult parables to understand. Because at first reading, it looks as if Jesus is actually celebrating dishonesty. And the pattern of this parable is very different to normal. Previously, Jesus told three parables, and they've all got a similar pattern. Lost, found, celebration. A lost sheep found by a shepherd. A woman who lost a coin who throws a party when she finds it. A lost son who returns to a celebrating father. Lost, found, celebration. But this parable is really different. Even the title of the parable seems a little odd. The parable of the shrewd manager. Now, I'm not sure what emotions that word shrewd evokes in you. To me, I have to say, it sounds a little bit sly, a little bit cunning. Not very pure, not very... Holy, not very innocent. Shrewd's a word we would use to describe the lawyers, the politicians, the taxmen, the accountants. You know the kind, those kind of shady folk. You're probably sitting next to one of them. (laughs) And the story seems to echo contemporary Nairobi culture. Because neither the master nor the manager seem particularly high on integrity. The manager's inept, corrupt. So when he's threatened with getting fired, what does he do? He gives a deep discount on some bills owed by his best buddies. They look after him when he gets fired. Let's look at the story in a bit more detail. We've got a rich man who's delegated his debt collection to a manager. And the manager's inept. So the rich man plans to fire him. The manager gets hauled into the master's office. He's given notice. And the manager's working out his notice. And he's panicking. 
He doesn't want to beg, and he doesn't fancy manual labor. So he contacts some of his master's debtors and does them a deal. The guy who owes 900 gallons of olive oil, which is worth about 25,000 US dollars a day, is given 50% off. How good is that? And the man who uh, owes 10,000 bushels of wheat, which is about 10,000 US dollars worth today, he's given a 20% discount. And why does the manager do this? Well, he's so, so cynical. He does it so that when he loses his job, these guys will take care of him. And of course, no Kenyan politician would ever think about doing this today. And after the week we've had in in UK politics, uh, far be it from me to knock local politicians. Um, (laughs) But this parable has got a huge twist. The master finds out that the manager has been cutting deals. And somewhat remarkably, he doesn't get angry and show the manager the door. He actually commends the manager for his shrewdness, which I think is remarkable. So what's the point Jesus is going to make here? How does it apply to us? Well, I think there's four things we can learn from this story. First, there's a call to shrewdness. Be shrewd. Jesus is actually encouraging his people to be shrewd. Now, maybe you view shrewdness like this, like this image I've got up on screen. You've got the choice, innocence or shrewdness. And innocence is surely better, isn't it? But Jesus actually urges us to be both. He tells his disciples to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as of doves. So maybe this is a better picture. Now our goal here is to head to the top right corner of this graph. For someone who's shrewd and innocent, they will be a discerning person. But if you're shrewd and lack innocence, you're going to be cunning. That's the snake in the garden. Cunning. If you're innocent but lack shrewdness, you are naive. People will take advantage of you. And if you're neither shrewd nor innocent, you are simply foolish. (laughs) Sorry. So having mocked our shrewd lawyers earlier on, maybe I need to take a few lessons from them. But I wonder where are you on this chart, discerning, cunning, naive, or foolish. You see, I think servants of Jesus require a level of shrewdness that's pure in motivation, but still innocent in intention. I think we as Christian believers are not to hide in our own naive echo chamber. Rather, we've got to engage the realities of the world with keen insights and discernment. Well, what might this look like? 
You know, are you using your creativity and your ingenuity to honour God? That's shrewdness. So in this parable, Jesus is urging his people to wise up. He said the people of this world are more shrewd than the people of the light. So be shrewd. A second lesson is this, and it's somewhat shocking. In the story, the advice seems to be make friends with yourself with stolen money. And all the politicians say, Amen. <laughs> but this surely can't be the way for Jesus' people, can it? But Jesus says this in verse 9 use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. And this seems really odd advice. Because it even sounds a little manipulative. But this is shrewdness in action. So we have to ask ourselves, are we using our money to make friends? Because that's for Jesus' mandate. We are to use the master's resources to further the master's goals. We've been entrusted with material possessions and we need to use them for the benefit of others. So again, what might this look like practically? Well, maybe we have to learn to spend what little we have on generosity or hospitality. Because other people's response to our generosity or hospitality may actually end us bringing, up, uh, bringing us more security than money would. And of course, we have to do this wisely so that we're truly looking to benefit others and not merely to ease our conscience or flatter people who might be future benefactors. And again, in very practical ways, when we support ministries like Rajesha or Rajar, we're gaining friends. The number of times I hear stories of, our, of clients we encounter who our generosity points them towards the kingdom. It disarms our clients. So use money to gain friends. Third, this. We need to learn to take the long view. The problem with the manager in this parable, he's, a, he's taking a short-term view, and that's fine. But we've got to take a long-term view, an eternal view. Again, Jesus says this, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. We need that eternal perspective. Because although the master praises the manager for his shrewdness, Jesus is urging his listeners to a higher standard too, the eternal view. Wealth it's temporary, it will come, it will go. We can't take anything with us. Jesus is urging us here to focus on gaining a welcome into eternal dwellings. Take the long view. So again, I wonder, does our approach to friendship and wealth have a long view? And of course, mutual fraud is probably not the best way to build relationships but apparently it's better than not building relationships at all. 
Short-term shrewdness is great, but a long-term eternal perspective is better. And again, I wonder if chasing down that next promotion or growing your financial base, does that matter as much to Jesus as it does to you? You've got to take the long view. The writer Eugene Peterson describes discipleship like this. It's long obedience in the same direction. We need to take the long view. And finally this, the fourth story, the fourth lesson from this parable. Be generously faithful. Because Jesus goes on to urge his listeners to be trustworthy with all they have. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And the principle Jesus is teaching is that everything we own should be used to further God's kingdom. We are God's stewards. Just as the unjust manager in the parable was shrewd in benefiting himself materially, so we need to be shrewd in benefiting others spiritually. Of course, if God is our master, all our wealth is at his disposal. So I wonder, can we be trusted with little? Often I hear people say, I'm not earning enough to give. I'm too busy at the moment to serve. When I earn more, I'll give more. When I've got more spare time, then I'll serve. But Jesus seems to be pushing back at that mindset. Whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. So we need to learn to give, not just when we can afford it, but give when we can't. We've got to show ourselves trustworthy with the little. And God will trust us with more. And of course, I look after money here at Renewal, so I would say that, wouldn't I? <laughs> but I can tell you this, your need to give is way bigger than Renewal's need to receive. Someone once said, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. So let's round up. What's Jesus asking of us through this parable? Maybe we need to just ditch our cautious cynicism, which we claim is shrewdness, and redevelop a kind of healthy, trusting innocence. Maybe we need to learn to wise up, stop being so mindlessly innocent, and put some shrewd, solid boundaries in place around our lives. Maybe we need to use less of our money for our own comfort and use it to build some kingdom friends. Maybe we need to learn to start taking the long view. Stop expecting short-term results and dig in grittily for the long haul. Or maybe we need to demonstrate faithful generosity with the little we have. What if Jesus was serious? 
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this story. Thank you for this parable. Thank you for the the lessons you want to communicate to us through it. And I pray that through your spirit, you would speak personally and individually to each one of us, that we can see what you're asking of us. Amen. Hey, everybody, so nice to see you, so glad you're here.